Alia Gose, and today we will be speaking with the 2020 Beef State Scholarship recipient, Renee Seek. Thanks for joining us, Renee. Let's talk a little bit about you. You mentioned that you were involved in 4-H and FFA and that your family raises beef cattle. Any specific breed? My family's primarily raising cattle bound for the show industry. So a lot of our cows are a mania Jew-based, but we have uh, multiple other breeds in a crossbreeding system as well. Cool. So as 4-H and FFA are what all parts of raising them, getting them ready, showing them, what were you all involved in? Uh, sure. I really liked being around cows during calving season and helping my dad on the farm anytime I was around home in high school. Um, but my favorite part was being involved in the show range. So a halter breaking calves after we weaned them when they were babies and then preparing them for shows and going to livestock shows throughout the following summer. That's so fun. I was a 4-H'er as well. And so reminiscing on those memories is great. And I hope that my kids also want to be involved. And if they don't, you may see a 33-year-old in the show ring because (laughs) it's great. It's great fun and it's a learning lesson and it's a great um, program to be involved in. So when you, you had said in your article here that you grew up wanting kind of in into genetics because you got to pick the bulls to breed your heifers to. So what do you remember which was your first, the first bull that you picked for your heifer? You know, I don't know if I remember, but that was one of my favorite things is looking through bull catalogs with my dad and trying to make the best breeding decision we could for my cattle. And that's how I really got interested in the genetics world. Great. So when you were going through as a little tot, looking at all these bulls, did you look at their color? Did you look at their bone? Did you look at their hair? Like what was drawn to you or were you true and blue into the EPDs picking them out that way? Because I am very much picture like, oh, he looks good. I really like him. He's fancy. (laughs) Yeah, I would say that like I'm sure a lot of little girls in 4-H think I really liked colorful animals. So showing when I was growing up, I had quite a few heifers that were black and white. I had a steer that was red, so I was always looking for something that was fun colored for sure. Yeah, yeah. And and they sell, right? That's right. That's what your end game is. They, They tend to sell. Cool. So let's get into a little about you now. So you were the 2020 Beef State Scholarship recipient. What did getting that mean for you? I think the Beef State Scholarship program is a really incredible opportunity for college students. And it was really great to see that the Nebraska Cattleman believes in the work that I was doing and in my potential future involvement in the industry and having the support of Nebraska cattlemen to be able to accomplish those goals uh, was really, really special to me. And I'm highly appreciative of that opportunity. Well, I mean, we think that what you're doing and what you want to do, it's great. And the more kids that um, the foundation can bring back into the industry and kind of keep into the industry, um, the better it is for us. So perfect. That's great. 
So you went to UNL and got an animal science degree as an undergrad, and then you did your master's program there also, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. And so what did you focus on um, with your master's program? I was a student in the animal breeding and genetics group within the animal science department. So my primary research was looking at inherited abnormalities in cattle. And I also did some work in animal feed efficiency and how genetics is relating to that. Okay. So, and then you went into, and you worked for a genetics testing lab. Um, What did your job, was it pretty similar to what you were doing with your master's program as far as what your day-to-day job entailed? Did it, you know, correlate with it? Yeah, the commercial genetics testing industry is uh, really interesting because I was able to get to see samples coming from a lot of different breed associations and commercial cattle producers and get a really good understanding of all of the genetic testing that's happening with the industry and where that data is going and what it's being used for. So that was a really unique opportunity. While I was at that lab, I was also able to see some of the other animal species that we were doing genetic testing with, and that was really interesting as well. Cool. So you recently finished up your um, project, your master's project on... um, Inherited cattle birth defects. Mm -hmm. So why is it important to track new variants in DNA? Um, Is it just, obviously, you can pick out the good and the bad, right? Um, So what's so important that this new technology can provide that we weren't able to do um, by sight and seeing the effects after? The new opportunities that we have with the genomic data that I work with is that Previously, before we had access to this data, we could track pedigrees to understand animal disease and its inheritance, but we could never really develop a genetic test to identify carrier animals without this genomic data. And so what I'm able to do is take genomic data and identify specific variants in the genome that are contributing to phenotypes. And the specific phenotypes I'm looking at are disease, but we can use this data to look at other production traits as well. And so being able to pinpoint exact variants in the genome that are contributing to those phenotypes is going to help us make better selection decisions on those than what we would have from pedigree information alone. So give us an example of a genetic mutation and what makes it genetic? What makes it um, inheritable by offspring? Sure. So the specific disease that I was looking at uh, has a long scientific name, but we refer to it as MD. And this is a recessively inherited trait, which is what a lot of the different birth defects that we're looking at are. And so there's a normal allele and a disease allele. And so a carrier animal has one normal and one disease allele. And that's why we want to test for carrier animals is to figure out if they potentially could pass that disease on to their offspring. And so that's really what I'm looking to identify is clarifying normal animals from those that can pass the disease on to their offspring. So what, um, when you say disease, what was, when they pass it on, um, what were some of the side effects of that disease? Did it inhibit all 
of the progeny from that sire? Um, was it, you said it was recessive? Yeah. So the disease I was looking at, uh, the calves were missing a portion of their lower jaw at birth. And so carrier animals had completely normal jaw development. But if you breed two carrier animals together in a recessively inherited disease, then the calf of that mating has a one quarter chance of having a baby with the short jaw syndrome. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important to test for carrier animals that we can avoid producing calves that potentially have that disease phenotype. So I assume, I mean, with a short jaw, they have trouble sucking and eating later in life. How long do they usually live for? Is it a pretty, so you know, they can't thrive? So what we were thrive. looking at was pretty variable in the severity of the condition, but they lose a lot of tone of the muscles that allow them to suckle. And so uh, some of them aren't able to suck and to nurse at all as babies. And then um, some could maybe live a little longer, but they really don't. Uh, thrive past a couple of months. Sure. So since it's recessive, it's and you are doing most of this testing on bulls. Mm -hmm. So how important is it? I mean, if you have a recessive bull, obviously most people would probably not breed to him or you shouldn't keep him in the lineup. But is it becoming more popular to genetic test your females also? So with this specific condition, it really depends on the pedigree of your female. So it was originating from a bull that wasn't that old. He was born in the 2000s. And so we have pretty accurate pedigree records for most females to figure out whether this bull was in their pedigree or not. So if your cow base doesn't have that bull in their pedigree, you're pretty safe to breed them to carrier bulls because you know that your cows are not carriers of the condition if they don't have that founder bull in their pedigree. However, with other kinds of recessive conditions, we don't maybe know the founder bull or the founder bull was really far back in the breed. You know, we, we can go back and find some of these diseases originating in the mid 1900s. And so with those animals, it may potentially be important to genotype cows as well. So this is and there's probably no answer because it's the age-old question of the chicken or the egg. But when you said this was a new bull on that possessed MD, where and how does that start? You know, if he was a new bull in the early 2000s and it wasn't seen prior to him, what in his genetic makeup made him possess this? Sure. So... All animals of any kind have random new variants within the genome that neither of their parents had. And all animals have lots of these, potentially hundreds of new variants within their DNA. However, a significant amount of those variants are in regions of the DNA that don't really affect phenotypes. And so the bull that was the founder of this disease and, and most others happened to be the really unlucky one that his random variant happened to be in a spot in the DNA that caused a pretty drastic change in the protein that's resulting in jaw development. And so it's a pretty random happening of, of where these variants are going to be and whether they're going to really have a negative production outcome or not. So he just happened to be the unlucky one that this happened to happen to. 
So we might get back to basics here um, just for listeners. Can you explain the difference between a phenotype and a genotype? Sure. So genotypes are things in the DNA that animals can pass off to their progeny. Phenotypes are actually measurable production outcomes. So you can look at a cow or a bull and know their phenotype, or you can measure it. So if we're looking at a feed efficiency uh, phenotype, you can measure that. Uh, Where a genotype, we have to look at the DNA to know what genotype that animal has. Okay. And they're both, you could, do you consider both of them when you are breeding? Yes. When, especially when we're looking at disease traits, it's really important to consider genotypes. For example, if we have carrier animals, looking at them, they will appear completely normal, but they're able to potentially pass on a disease trait to their offspring, even though they don't have the disease themselves. And so in that case, it's really important that we consider variants in the DNA that might be contributing to that. I mentioned this at the end of my article, but I think it's really important anytime we're talking to cattle producers about uh, variants in the DNA is that the only way scientists are able to identify the causes of some of these diseases is if producers report when they have problems. So it's really important for all of our cattle producers to remember that if you have a calf that's born that you think maybe has some sort of genetic problem, you should report that to your breed association because it might be something that other producers within the breed are seeing as well. And the only way we can figure out the cause of those things is if we have a pretty good sampling of affected calves. And there's, I mean, your breed associations then I'm assuming work with genetic testing labs right? all over the country. The breed associations work with universities that work on these things as well as genetic testing labs to develop those commercial genetic tests for these conditions. And they are all, most of the breed associations, I'd assume now, are kind of compiling that data for themselves. Is that correct? They kind of have an online database and system that they are randomly pulling different bulls and compiling that to use for future use? Yes, that would be correct. So they compile genetic information on a wide variety of bulls. And when we're studying diseases, we can compare the animals that maybe are having this disease to that wider variety of bulls to help us identify uh, maybe where the disease is coming from in the DNA. So do we ever see a specific mutation or disease that maybe isn't breed specific or a lot of them pretty breed specific and then when you get into crossbreeding that's how it spreads? Do most of them start pretty breed specific? It depends on the kind of disease we're considering. So the kind of disease that I think about often typically is breed-specific when we're looking at recessively inherited disease. There are a wide variety of diseases that uh, include environmental interactions. And so they might have a variant in their DNA that potentially exposes them to this sort of disease, but they have to be in the right environment to show symptoms of that disease, for example. So uh, things that interact with the environment can affect all cattle breeds as well. Wow. This is all so interesting. And like I said earlier before the show, that every time we talk genetics, I think I learn something new every single time because the, the advancements in the last 
decade have just been above and beyond. So where do you see the future of animal genetics? Obviously, it's going to keep growing and keep getting better, but how can we as producers utilize that um, every year more so than we are now? Right. Uh, Right now, a lot of the genotyping that we're doing is with what we call SNP chips. So uh, a lot of cattle producers use like a 100K SNP chip. And so you're looking at 100,000 different areas in the genome. And where I really see the genetics industry going for testing is potentially moving to whole genome sequencing in the future. And so then we can look at every single variant in the DNA instead of only specific variants that we target for a SNP chip. And the reason I think we'll be able to do this in the future is the cost of that whole genome sequencing is really decreasing and and likely will keep decreasing in the future as the technology to be able to perform that is improving quite drastically. Wow, that's awesome that, you know, I don't know what the you know, I see producers across the state that some of them are already working with genetics labs um, and doing some of this stuff. And I don't know what it costs currently for the producer, but it's exciting that it will be open to everybody, mm-hmm. you know, where everybody can consider consider doing this with their animals. So perfect. I have one final question for you. What is one misconception about the beef industry that you would correct and how would you go about setting it straight? I think that in the mind of consumers, there are potentially a lot of misconceptions about the beef industry that we should all work on uh, improving. But one that I've been seeing in the news a lot lately that I would love to work on is uh, the interaction between beef cattle and climate change. And I think that uh, most cattle producers would agree that we think that our animals are good to have in the world and are not damaging the world that we live in. And so I think it's really important for us to keep speaking up about what we're doing and how our animals are contributing to to global climate change issues. Sure. Yep. We at Nebraska Cattlemen, we get that question a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a lot of media calls on it. Um, so it's it's definitely something that is the average person you know, we, they think that cows are bad for the environment and the methane that they produce is causing global warming. And so it's just, it's frustrating, but, it, but after you have a conversation with those people and you tell them the true stats on it, um, it's always nice to see them understand and, you know, oh yeah, you know, you're right. I probably had that backwards. So mm-hmm. That is probably one of the biggest that we're dealing with today. So great. So for those interested in reading the entire article by Renee, you can find it in the June-July 2021 edition of the Nebraska Cattlemen Magazine, um, and it starts on page 36. Until next time, listeners, don't forget that you heard it here.